Hello, and welcome to the Occupied Thoughts podcast. I'm Peter Beinart, a non-resident fellow with the Foundation for Middle East Peace. Today is September 30th, 2021. A few weeks ago, six Palestinian prisoners escaped from the maximum security prison in which they were being held in northern Israel. Israel launched a massive search and recaptured all six men, uh, whom they called, who the government called terrorists. Palestinians celebrated the escape with one Palestinian journalist, Dalia Hatuka, described it as a symbolic victory over the occupation and its infrastructure and a thumb in the eye of the Israel prison service. Orly Noor, a journalist, translator of Farsi literature into Hebrew and political and Mizrahi activist, wrote a post on Facebook in which he described the prisoners as freedom fighters and said that, quote, every Palestinian who survives the occupation and persists in continuing to live is a hero. And for that post, Orly was temporarily banned from Facebook. I'm delighted to be joined by Orly Nori today to talk about the Palestinian prisoner escape and debates around it, as well as the politics of the Israeli left in general. Um, in addition to her other work, Orly is an editor at Local Call, a member of B'Tselem's executive board and an activist with the Balad political party. Orly, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, Peter. Hi. So um, before we get into the specific um, debate in Israel, uh, uh, Israel-Palestine, about the prisoner escape and, and your comments on it, I would love to just ask you to talk a little bit about yourself. You, um, I think, have a truly fascinating, um, uh, you, you, you work and live at the intersection, I think, um, at an intersection that not many other people do, um, of, of Mizrahi politics and culture and of the Israeli left and a Palestinian-based political party in Balad. Um, uh, I can't think of anyone else who has that, that particular constellation of different connections and affiliations. So maybe you could just talk um, personally a little bit about your family story. How long has your family been in, in Israel-Palestine? Um, what were your political, when was your political awakening? What was the political climate for you growing up? And how did you ultimately come to the place that you are now? Wow, <laughs> those are big questions. <laughs> um, I was born and raised in Iran, in Tehran, um, a very conservative, uh, middle-class, ordinary Jewish uh, uh, family. I went to Jewish school and uh, we left Iran to Israel the very same day that the Shah uh, left Iran and uh, Khomeini arrived a couple of weeks after and um, I think that, you know, the, the uh, internalization of the Zionist discourse became like it, it's something that my parents adopted after arriving uh, to Israel, because I, I have no doubt that uh, had it not been for the Iranian revolution, we would never have ended up in Israel. But once arriving here, you know, they became... Um, uh, a devoted uh, Zionist family, and I uh, uh, grew up as as such. I joined the army very proudly, and uh, uh, and the moment of awakening. I, I don't think that there was one such moment uh, uh, per se, but I think that you know, in a certain moment, when I realized that. When I arrived to Israel at the age of nine, and even before I actually set foot on the land of Israel, as a Jew, I already had more privileges and more rights in that country uh, than a Palestinian who had be, whose family had been living here, has been living here for generations. 
um, it changed something within me and it uh, uh, rose a, a lot of questions and uh, following that some uh, questions about my Mizrahi identity and those two uh, parallel lines of the Mizrahi uh, awareness and the political uh, awareness became more closer and closer until they really became one. And today I am uh, uh, active within uh, the, the Balad, which is a national Palestinian party as a Mizrahi, because I think that, um, and, and I think it's a, it's a topic for a whole long other conversation, but uh, I think that basically the same mechanisms who are set originally and, and foremost to, to oppress the Palestinians, both under the occupation and also the Palestinian citizens of Israel, they also, the same mechanism serves to discriminate against Mizrahim and to oppress Mizrahim uh, through land distribution, through budgets, through cultural peripherization, through the whole, you know, many, many uh, uh, different sorts of uh, tools that this mechanism of, of oppression uses uh, against both communities. So today for me, it's really, it's, it's, it's the same. I'm not, I, I, I'm also there in Barat because of so, so sense of solidarity with the Palestinians, but also because I think that at the source of it, at the root, it's the same struggle uh, against the against the, the the colonial nature of the state of Israel today. As you said, I, I could ask you about this all uh, all day. Um, I'm, I'm uh, deeply fascinated by this subject and by um, your analysis on it. But I, I, we promised the, the, the listeners that we would focus um, on, the, on the Palestinian prisoner escape. So, so let's, we'll defer that for hopefully another day. Um, um, talk about um, the, the significance of this prisoner escape and the way it was, um, the discourse that emerged about it, both in Israeli Jewish society and in Palestinian society. Well, without a doubt, that was a dramatic moment. I mean, when we heard that the news early in the morning, uh, the first reaction by everybody was complete shock. This is not something that happens. It's it's the one rare moment that David actually uh, uh, defeats Goliath, even if it's just for one temporary moment. So if you are rooting for Goliath, then uh, you are sh not only shocked, but also uh, offended and, and uh, uh, insulted. And, and, and uh, uh, it's, it's almost, I think that uh, after the initial shock, the Israeli discourse was mainly one of insult. I mean, how, how is it possible that they outsmarted us, that they defeated our... Uh, uh, undefeatable security system. And for Palestinians, of course, it was a moment of um, uh, almost spiritual elevation, I think. I mean, that, that there is, that, that even if it's just for a brief moment, those six uh, uh, Palestinian prisoners under the, the most uh, uh, severe oppression within the Israeli uh, jail were able 
to outsmart the system and to gain uh, their freedom. Uh, needless to say that I very much sympathized with the second uh, uh, approach and I, I, I really thought that that was an amazing moment of uh, liberation and of, of hope and of a possibility uh, of freedom that was materialized for a moment. So talk a little bit about what you wrote on Facebook and the aftermath of that. So I wrote a, a, a post calling them, uh, you know, in, in Israeli Jewish discourse, a Palestinian is uh, a, a terrorist, Mechabel, that's the Hebrew word for uh, terrorist, he's by definition uh, considered, considered to be a, a terrorist if he is inside an Israeli jail. It doesn't matter for what reason. Nobody, in, I, I, no Israeli outlet, media outlet almost, bothered itself to actually say what it was that those six people did that uh, put them in, in, in jail. So if it can be uh, uh, administrative detention, that not only you're not indicted with anything, you're not even charged with anything, but you can still spend years from your life in prison. Uh, you can, it can be throwing stones uh, at soldiers. It can be murdering a civilian, doesn't matter. All of them under the same umbrella of, of uh, terrorists. So I said, so what I wrote was that these are, I mean, by definition, these are the freedom fighters. And I uh, refer to a very interesting film, um, Anna's Children, that was made in the, uh, during the 1990s in the Janine refugee camp, actually featuring a uh, uh, few children that were part of the freedom uh, theater that operated at that time in the uh, Jenin refugee camp. One of these children is Zacharias Beidi, who was the most uh, famous uh, of the six uh, Palestinian prisoners who had uh, escaped. And I, I um, wrote about, you know, the story of those children, Zacharias Beidi included, that as children, they were just, you know, kids playing around hopefully in a, in a freedom theater and then the move the film comes back to them after a decade and during that decade all of them became freedom fighters all of them picked them picked up guns and and uh, fought against the occupation Zacharias Beatty's mother was shot dead on the porch of her house his brother was killed by Israeli soldiers his house was de de uh, uh, demolished uh, Almost all of his friends were killed by the Israeli army, including almost all of the kids that feature in that film. And I wrote, if, if a decade after Zbedi chose to pick up gun and fight, we, the Israeli society, should be accountable for why it happened, why those cute kids that were played in a, in, in, in a theater of freedom and spoke about freedom and you know uh, hoped for for a future. What happened during that decade in their lives that turned all of them into fighters and 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 and, and brought all of them to and and you know I have personal friends in 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 that refugee camp. I I know how easy it is. It's it's almost um, you know something that you pass from generation to generation. Um, 
you almost have no other choice but to become a fighter. Um, so so I, I called them freedom fighters and I wrote about uh, the, the background of those uh, kids. And within less than an hour, I got a an, an, um, message from Facebook uh, telling me that uh, I violated the rules of the community, which they did not elaborate. I don't know what those rules were. And I was banned <laughs> for three days from Facebook. Um, and was this, um, do you know whether this is a decision made by Facebook in Israel or Facebook uh, in, you know, globally? Do you have any understanding of who, how this decision was made? Um, no, I, I, I can imagine that it's the local uh, uh, branch. It's the local Facebook. It's Israel Facebook. So many times it's as a result of uh, many people reporting your post as uh, offensive uh, uh, incitement that has some content of incitement or whatever. And I can imagine that this is what happened, that many, um, you know, average Israelis, did not like the content of it and if you don't you know if you uh if you look or talk about palestinian prisoners with as human beings in the israeli discourse that's enough to to want to call you a supporter of terrorists and to call you a supporting of uh, a supporter of violence and uh, and shut you up uh, so I, I, my guess is that just, you know, Israeli readers reported and Facebook, uh, Israel Facebook uh, took it down. Yeah. Well, so to, to try to get inside the mind of, of those critics, um, um, I would imagine, I could imagine someone making an argument that would go like this. It's one thing to say that Israel's, Israel's behave, uh, treatment of Palestinians policies are fundamentally unjust and immoral. Um, um, but to say that, um, to, to justify the Palestinian violence against, against Israelis, if that's how people interpreted what you were doing with the phrase freedom fighters, um, is first of all, to just, is to, means justifying violence against civilians, which is something that some, many people would say is, is simply morally wrong. Um, and also might say, you know, means that you are essentially, a, you know, giving a blessing to violence against your Israeli Jewish neighbors, you know, which is something that people would understandably react to with a, a strong sense of betrayal and abandonment. Um, certainly, the, those very small number of Americans who after September 11th, said anything that could have been seen as saying that there was anything legitimate with, you know, with the attack on American civilians were, 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 were seen as outcasts. So how do you, how do you respond to that, to that argument, which I could imagine being made even by some who are not on the right, but who are on the center or even, even to the center left? Yeah, first I should say that, you know, I'm a mother of two daughters and I live in Jerusalem and I, uh, we were here at the years that buses exploded in the streets right, be, you know, below our house. So uh, it, it's not that I'm not familiar with the violent nature of uh, our situation here. But, you know, Peter, there is something very um, bitter uh, and at the same time almost amusing in the fact that those who constantly 
uh, object violence, and this is what I do throughout my work, you know, for, for, for more than two decades, need to repeatedly give, you know, justify themselves and say, no, we are against violence. We don't justify violence. Of course, I don't justify. This is what I do. My entire life project is dedicated to putting an end to the very violent situation that we live in. But having said that, I want to say uh, a, a few other things. First, that it's not a symmetrical situation. We live in a very, very violent reality, but there is no symmetry between the Israeli violence, uh, which is aimed to uh, uh, deepen uh, a deadly, brutal occupation, and the violence used by Palestinians to liberate from themselves from that operate from that uh, uh, occupation and, and violence. So this it, you have it is a violent reality. It's not enough to just say, oh, we are just uh, against uh, uh, violence. That's not enough. You need to. To, to, to look deeper and see the roots of the, this, this violent reality and, and you know, take a stand. This is uh, uh, one thing. The other thing is that Israel leaves almost no room for nonviolent resistance for the Palestinians. So it's okay, so we are against violence. But if they have no other way to resist so it's either you say they have no right to resist whatsoever, and I don't think that's a moral stand. I don't think that that's a moral thing to say that Palestinians simply do not have the right. I think that Palestinians have every right to do whatever they find fit to liberate themselves from this deadly hell that Israel uh, put them in uh, for for uh, decades. Uh, it's uh, I'm sorry, um, and I what I actually call them is is uh, heroes. And I do think that if you're a Palestinian, unarmed Palestinian, that is standing up against the strongest military, one of the strongest militaries in the world. You are a hero. A hero doesn't mean that you're a saint. Heroes can do unspeakable things as well. But it means that you had the courage to stand up against that uh, uh, very strong uh, army. And the last thing is that we as Israelis, as Israeli Jews, do not have the moral right to judge the Palestinians for whatever the, the whatever means they choose to liberate themselves. Our only moral obligation is to work inside our own society to bring an end to an to a horrible oppression which we have responsibility for. I don't have, as an Israeli Jew, the moral right to judge Palestinians as to how they conduct their liberation. Uh, struggle, even though, again, as I mentioned, I live in Jerusalem, I might be subject to that violence. I don't think that violence is is a noble thing or, or, or a moral thing, but I don't have the moral right 
to judge the Palestinians. My obligation, our obligation as the Israeli Jewish society is to say enough is enough and to do whatever we can to put, put an end to, to the occupation and all the horrifying, horrifying reality that uh, comes with it. And by the way, we saw a little bit of that uh, 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 reality in the pogrom that the settlers uh, uh, performed uh, at the second holiday of Sukkot in the uh, uh, villages in the South uh, Hebron Hills. This was backed by the army. Settlers invading into, like the descriptions were exactly like the descriptions of, of uh, pogroms against Jews uh, in Europe 100 years ago. So in, in that reality, I don't, I don't have the moral uh, uh, right to tell the Palestinians, oh, no, 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 no. You should be polite with your, with your struggle. No, they are fighting for their lives. They are fighting for the, the, the future of their kids, for the, for the possibility of their children, not to have a good future, but to have a future. In that reality, I don't think that I have the moral right to tell them how to fight for their children's to have children to even have a future. I, to me, it makes complete sense that the that there is an obscene um, um, uh, kind of lack of focus on the extent of Israeli violence against largely defenseless population. Um, um, but I want to probe your argument a little more, which, as I understand it, is to say that because Israeli Jews are, are the more powerful party and because the government that's oppressing Palestinians speaks in their name and represents them, therefore, they don't have the moral right to judge Palestinian behavior. Um, um, is, is, it's the, I suppose the response would be um, that all people, regardless of their power, their place that their power puts them in, um, have have moral faculties and the right to moral judgment, um, and that one could make an argument that um, that there's certain that there's simply a you know human rights watch, let's say international human rights organizations, will say that there's something called the international human rights law, and if Hamas is uh, or or a suicide bomber is blowing up a bus where they know that they're going to be uh, mostly civilians on that bus, that 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 there is a universal principle at stake. Um, irrespective that one can make a judgment on it, irrespective of where one stands in terms of the power dynamic. Um, so, um, so I wonder how you would respond to what I think would be that counter argument. I, I fully adopt all the international guidelines uh, for uh, you know, uh, human rights and human rights charters, and I fully accept them and the, their logic and their deep morality. I fully accept that. But what is the meaning of uh, uh, denouncing or not denouncing, condemning or not a Palestinian act? What, what, is, the, what, what is the essence of, of that act? What difference does it make if I, Olinoy, a Jewish Israeli, say, oh, what the Palestinians did is immoral? or shooting 
in the real world, this has no significant other than enhancing the Israeli discourse that focuses only on the Palestinian violations of those human rights codes. I wouldn't mind I wouldn't mind doing that if we lived in a world where when those six uh, uh, prisoners escaped, the first question that the Israeli media would ask itself would be, wait a minute, how come they were even imprisoned inside Israel? This is a war crime. Because according to international law, the occupier does not have the right to imprison uh, residents of the occupied territories outside those uh, territories. This is considered to be a war crime. But once, and this is the very, very, you know, it's the most minor violation of the Palestinian human rights. So in, in a reality where none of these violations is seriously discussed, nobody in the international arena seriously demands Israel to be accountable for those violations, what would be the meaning of me, an Israeli Jew, going no, no, no to the Palestinians and say, oh, oh, you are, you're not doing it right. You're immoral with the way that you're conducting your, your struggle. It's completely meaningless. There is, it's, I, I think, you know, we, 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 I think that the international discourse and, and certainly the Israeli one became to be so uh, indifferent or so, you know, casual, about the, the occupations or as almost an intellectual you know, uh, uh, exercise. It's not an intellectual exercise. It's people dying every day. It's children being tortured every day. It's communities being erased. In that so in, the, in, in that circum, sort of circumstances, I think that discussing the Palestinian morality is some sort of a privilege that we don't have right now. There's also a, a, a conversation about the effectiveness of violence um, uh, as, a, as a response. And, I, and so another line of argument against your position would simply be um, even putting aside the question of morality, that let's say the second, the experience of the Second Intifada shows that Palestinian violence against civilians um, uh, doesn't help the Palestinian cause. It actually sets the Palestinian cause back. Now, on the other side, there have been writers like Nathan Thrall in his, you know, recently in his in his book, uh, The Lonely Language They Understand. He actually argues that violence is actually effective for both sides, that he, he thinks that both Palestinians and Israeli Jews tend to respond more to violence than to anything else. Um, so I wonder just on the, on the strategic question, how you think it through. First of all, I think that strategically, this is really a Palestinian consideration. I think that this is all up, it's up only to the Palestinians to decide what is more effective or less effective for their struggle. But now I will be uh, very Jewish of me and ask, you know, answer your question with a question. So what has been an effective tool for Palestinians, when everything was very quickly 
uh, framed by Israel as some sort of terrorism. Take BDS, for example. Can you imagine, can you think of a less violent resistance than the BDS? Now you have countries uh, 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 declaring BDS to be anti-Semitic. So if everything, and that's what I meant earlier when I said that Israel is constantly and deliberately limiting the Palestinians' uh, uh, possibilities for nonviolent resistance. I think that Israel is actually systematically pushing Palestinians towards uh, violent resistance because it knows that then it can crush them down with uh, legitimacy from world war, from the international community. And, and uh, that, that, that would be a, a way easier uh, setting for, for, for Israel. But there is no nonviolent way for, you know, for, for years, the Palestinians in the West Bank, uh, uh, the uh, popular community, committees, uh, Week after week after week, they demonstrated in Bilin and in Alin and in other communities in the West Bank. Do you know how many casualties, how many of them Israel, the Israeli army shot dead? Nonviolent resistance. And now those committees are gone. They are gone. You don't have those weekly demonstrations anymore because Israel crushed them. So it's not that nonviolent resistance has been more effective for, for the Palestinians. This is the tragedy. Nothing has been fruitful or effective for the Palestinians. So I'm not the one to tell them, you know, what is more effective uh, or less effective. I want to ask about, um, you talked a little while ago about the kind of abstract conversations that sometimes play, take place among Jews, whether in Israel or elsewhere, about the occupation and um, you know about the about the conflict in general, which which lack this the moral immediacy immediacy that 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 you have when you speak as someone who I you know who who interacts with Palestinians who's seen some of these things for your first hand. I, I have to say too, I find this in the United States um, among American Jews one of the most deeply upsetting things that you know um, smart people, thoughtful people dis can discuss these issues. Um, um, a, 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 with no sense that there's any moral urgency um, to, the, to um, 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 and I'm wondering if you, and you also were talking about how you feel like the Palestinian struggle has been utterly unsuccessful, um, regardless of a variety of different, of different strategies. I, I want, in your experience as an Israeli Jew living in Israeli Jewish society, have, do you have any hope for the ability of people like you to change the Israeli conversation, to move uh, Israeli uh, Jewish politics in a way that might um, create new opportunities for, for equality and freedom? Um, the short answer is unfortunately no. I'm very, very much pessimistic. I think that the, the, the uh, general Jewish-Israeli public is becoming more and more oblivious to the uh, catastrophic situation in the West Bank. Uh, when Naftali Bennett, Prime Minister Bennett, said uh, at the uh, United Nations recently that Israelis do not wake up every morning and thinking about the occupation, he unfortunately is actually 
Right. I will tell you who does wake up every morning and thinking about it. Uh, the settlers, of course, and they, they, they do, and the Palestinians, uh, for, for sure. But I don't think, you know, when, when, when we speak, for example, about apartheid, and we uh, promote a very, you know, we, we, we provide, we try to provide the Israeli public with analysis and data and how it is really an apartheid system in which you have two different sets of laws applying to do two different uh, communities based on their national identity on the same land. And, you know, try to, to promote a very rational discourse. The minute they hear the word apartheid, they say, oh, those crazy leftists, they'll say, they say anything when, when they are upset. So it's very, and you know, and, and after they say, okay, so apartheid, so let them call apartheid. This is what it is. This is what it is. When, again, I'm going back to the program this week because it's still, I'm really still shaken by it when Palestinian families need to hide their children because settlers and, and, and uh, uh, soldiers are now out of the blue just attacking their houses. And you have a three-year-old Palestinian in a severe condition in the hospital. And then the Israeli media uh, uh, publishes, you know, uh, they, they, they reported uh, under the headline of clashes between Palestinians and settlers in the West Bank. So I think that the ability to actually make this change from within is extremely limited. I think that um, if anything is to be changed, is is will be through international pressure and hopefully uh, a change of views and pressure uh, by the uh, American jury. I think that they have um, you guys have um, a really really important role in all of that you don't agree you don't think that's i when i hear people say that it's up to american jews it makes me even more depressed um i um because i i i think um i i, I just don't I, I you know i mean because i think so many of the same dynamics in is that exist in israel exist here and, and and beyond that there's a different dynamic which is even worse which is that only a, as you know, only a certain percentage of American Jews really care. Um, most American Jews are, you know, quite distant from all of this, you know. Um, and um, and those of those who care, they tend to lean much more to the right, you know. Um, especially in a Jewish community that is becoming will be more and more Orthodox dominated in the next generation among American Jews. Um, um, so I, um, um, I, you know, and and I think I would love to know. I, you know, I cannot think of many. I cannot think of many examples that I can think of in my life where I feel like I have really convinced someone to think differently, you know, um, that much, you know, may, maybe sometimes they they might've had some of their own experiences, but I mean, given that you have to go back and forth in these dual existence between being with Palestinians in the struggle that you're part of, and also living in Israeli Jewish society as you do, I'm wondering, do you have, are there moments where you, that you can point to where you feel like 
you have found some way to break through. I mean, you talked about growing up in a, you know, in a, you know, a, the, to break through to people and 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 make them think in a fundamentally different way. Um, yes, uh, I actually uh, the the few uh, beams of optimism, optimistic lights that I uh, it's within the younger generation. I often write about you know urging young kids when you get that first hello knock on the door from the army at the age of 17 think wait it's it's right it's not just the law it's the it's in the air that you breathe in israel it's the most natural thing for you to do your waiting for it anxiously. This is, you know, your opportunity to demonstrate your patriotism, your, you know, that you're one of the guys that you, but I often think, you know, write about that, that you, you still have the right to think. Don't let them take that away from you. You know, inquire, ask questions, read, uh, uh, test testimonies by breaking the silence, go to field trips with the different organizations, know the situation. So every once in a while I get, I would get a private letter that somebody says, I, you, you made me think and I, I, I won't go to the army or I'm thinking about it. And I actually have a bunch of really amazing young uh, uh, girls and boys that have been sort of accompanying or, you know, we've been corresponding and, and uh, uh, for, for some time. So it's, you know, it's very, very small, but uh, if, if I must speak about some hope, then I think that the hope is in those uh, young women and men. Mm -hmm. I hope you'll write about that at some point if you, if you, if you haven't. Um, um, the last question I wanna ask you is I, I don't wanna, us in this conversation repeat this problem of these Palestinian escapees being, you know, faceless and, and dehumanized and, you know, not existing as people. So I don't know how much you know about them and their own stories, but um, I wonder if you just want to say anything about what we, about what you do know about who these people were, um, how they ended up in an Israeli prison and, um, and what we should know about them as human beings. Well, uh, I, I don't have their names. Of course, you know, once Zacharias Beatty was there, uh, I, I don't know if, uh, you know, people outside Israel know what a huge celebrity actually Zacharias Beatty is. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think it would be val valuable for you to talk about that. Yeah. So Zacharias Beatty was for uh, a long time the most wanted person by Israel and he fought uh, very bravely. Uh, during uh, uh, the big uh, uh, military invasion to his refugee camp, uh, Janine. And, and he was also, he became famous because an Israeli Jewish left activist, Tali Fahima, she went at the midst of the, this battle to Janine and said that she will uh, be a human shield for, for Zacharias Beatty and uh, uh, you know, the Israeli media tried to to make it a tabloid sort of uh, story, which it wasn't. Uh, but all of that got a lot of attention and he became and then he was arrested and released and arrested again. And 
there was something very captivating about his um, um, his figure. Uh, so he became really a public, like a, a, a celebrity uh, in, in in Israel. So once Zacharias' baby was there, the entire attention uh, uh, went to him. The other five were um, members of uh, the Islamic Jihad, which again, that's another code word in in the israeli discourse you know oh jihad jihadic islam it's it's a political party with an armed branch uh, because this is the way that the palestinian politics operates um uh, uh, i i i think that most of the one for cer- for certain uh, it, it, it's funny, you know, for, for five of them, actually, it was mentioned what they did, why they were in prison, and you had to, to look very hard to find that information. For one of them, it wasn't even mentioned. So it's clear that he was in, in administrative detention, which means that he's there without being given a reason why he's arrested. And Israel can lock somebody up for his entire life to renew his imprisonment every six months months without giving a reason. So that was one of them. Uh, uh, And uh, from the other four, um, I I think that uh, two had to do with attacking soldiers and two had to do with uh, uh, um, attacking civilians. But I'm not uh, 100% sure uh, because again, that was an information that was very, very difficult to find even about those um, people. But I don't. Again, they fought. Those the, they fought for their freedom and the freedom of their people in the best way they knew how. And uh, with Zacharias Baby, it's actually a, 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 a rare case that you can you know see. It's documented. You can see him as a child, this innocent child, and then see him as this scary terrorists, you know, escaping prison. So uh, for me, the question is not so much what they did, but how they became to to be prisoners. Why, you know, since 1967, one out of every five Palestinian men has been through Israeli jail. One out of five. Do I need to know what every single of these hundreds of thousands of people did? No, no. I need to know that what I need to know is that it's a horrible reality created and maintained by Israel and Israel is the one who should stop it. Yeah. Orly, thank you so much for taking the time for this conversation. I, I, uh, there, I would many other things I would love to talk to you about and I, I hope I'll have the opportunity to do that at some point. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you. Yeah. Um, um, you can uh, and I want to just thank our listeners for tuning into this episode of the Occupied Thoughts podcast a project of the Foundation for Middle East Peace you can visit our website at fmvp.org to subscribe to our many resources and find today's podcast episode posted along with links to additional resources about this topic you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud or Spotify, I'm Peter Beinart I look forward to the next episode